Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Continue today in Ephesians chapter 5, and we come to a verse today that might, might uh, raise some questions in your mind. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, and when you get to verse 5, verse 5 in, you know, in your own Bible study, if you're reading through a passage like this, verse 5 is one of those verses that kind of acts as a, as a speed bump. It uh, Maybe when you read it doesn't quite fit, maybe, with some things that, that uh, you see in other verses. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 says, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, I thought we've seen over and over again in God's word that salvation is by grace through faith, that it's not of our works, and that once you're saved, you're eternally secure. And here we come to a verse that says that, no whoremonger, no unclean person, even, even a covetous man, it says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And of course, it's verses like this that are often used by those who would want to say that, that salvation is not a free gift, that it's something you must work for, or that once you've received it, you must work to keep it. And I, I trust by the end of the message this morning, this verse won't be such a problem for you. But realize there's a couple of principles, first of all, when it comes to studying God's Word. And one thing is that when you have, a, when you have something that's very clear in Scripture, don't let what's unclear que- cause you to question the things that are clear. And there is nothing more clear in the book of Ephesians than that eternal life is a free gift completely by God's grace. Um, Many of you have memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? And that is very clear. Now, a verse like this is, you know, it's not completely clear. Hopefully by the end of the message you'll have a clearer picture of of what it's actually talking about. But but, uh, the verse is, is certainly not as clear as what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is. Um, it, and, and notice, you know, some of the wording it uses. It talks about the, the kingdom of Christ and of God. It talks about an inheritance. So it's not completely clear from the outset that the verse is even talking about eternal life. And when you're studying in God's word, you're going to find verses that are unclear. But don't let them uh, cause you to question the things that are made abundantly clear in God's word. Um, the... At the same time, though, when you see a verse like this, you have to deal with the Word of God honestly. Don't try and find some way to just, just, you know, worm your way around the verse or or make the verse say something it doesn't say. Uh, You can't do that either. And, you know, this verse, as far as what it says, is is very clear, right? I mean, it says that an unclean person, a whoremonger, and a, and a, uh, a covetous man 
have no inheritance. They have, don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And we can't just discount the verse, right? Now, when you come to a verse like that in, in your own Bible study, for instance, don't, don't just skip over it. Don't just say, okay, well, that's something that's unclear, and I don't want that to question what's clear. Because realize that a verse like this, if it means what some people say it means, it could bring into question your salvation and my salvation. And we owe it to the word of God not to just ignore a verse like that, not to just skip over it or downplay it or, or you know, just, just uh, not pay attention to what the verse says. We need to know what the verse says and we need to find a way that all of God's word can be true. All right? never, you never want to get into the position with God's word where you start to weigh one verse against another and say, this one must be true and that one must be not true. All of God's word is true. And so just because we may not understand a verse or we may not see how it fits in with other things that are clear in other places of scripture, don't, don't just, don't just uh, again, just downplay that verse or ignore that verse. If God's word is true, if it truly is the word of God, if it is absolute truth, then all of the verses have to be true. And if your, if your system of belief allows some of the verses to be true, but there's other ones that you have to, to not believe, then that system of belief is not an accurate understanding of God's word. All of the word of God has to be true. Right? And so, so a verse like this is an important thing to study. Um, the, the hard verses should not be the ones you skip over. The hard verses ought to be the ones that you spend your time on in study. Right? E- Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, that's a, a, a verse that doesn't take a great deal of study. It's so clear. It's so, it's so uh, um, just, just outspoken in its declaration that eternal life is a free gift from God, that it's not of your works. All right? You don't have to spend a lot of time studying that to understand what the verse says. But it's the hard verses that you have to spend time studying. And what you want to do is, you know, with a verse like this, first of all, you want to make sure that you're really understanding all of the terms correctly. Now, this is one of the, the few verses in Paul's epistles where Paul uses the word kingdom. You know, if you've studied the, the New Testament, that you more often have the, the non-Pauline New Testament, the, you know, the four Gospels or the uh, uh, Hebrew epistles talking about the kingdom. And Paul doesn't talk about the kingdom as much. He doesn't use the word kingdom as much. And there's an important distinction that we have to make. Paul here mentions the kingdom of God. Now, just like we've talked about how every gospel in your Bible is not the same gospel, um, every baptism in your Bible is not the same baptism, and every kingdom in your Bible is not the same kingdom. All right? The, the, the kingdom of God, and the, the major distinction to be made is between the kingdom of God that's mentioned here and the kingdom of heaven that's mentioned in other places. They're not the same thing. And realize that when God wrote his word, God, God could choose to use whatever words he wanted to use, right? And, and God, he didn't just inspire the ideas and leave it up to the writers to choose which words to use. God inspired the very words. Uh, it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And the, the, uh, literally there in the Greek, it's the, the Greek in, uh, in Timothy there, it's, 
Pasgrafe Theonustos, which is all the, the words or all the writings are breathed by God. You see? And so God chose the words. And that's an important thing to understand when you study the Bible because that means that if God uses one word instead of another word, there's a reason why he used that word. Okay? Now, it's true that there are times in the Bible when different terms are used to refer to the same thing. Right? But very often, when the Bible uses a different term, it's because it means something different. And there's, there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, put a, a mark here in Ephesians 5, because we'll, we'll be referring back to it. But I want you to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and you can also get Exodus 19 if you want to get both of those passages. Deuteronomy 11 and Exodus 19. Here in Deuteronomy 11, we have a a promise to the nation of Israel. And the, the book of Deuteronomy is really a recounting of the law just before Israel goes into the promised land. And there's a reminder of the blessings and cursings that will come as a result of Israel's obedience or lack of obedience. And in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, there's a, a warning regarding the word of God. It says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Now verse 18 is a, a verse that, Uh, religious Israel has taken very literally. And that's why when you see the Orthodox Jews at the Wailing Wall and they have a little little box that they have strapped to their forehead, and if you look at their hand, they'll have a, a piece of leather that's wrapped around their hand, and that piece of leather has scripture verses written on it. And that box has... Uh, scripture verses inside of it. And they literally um, have it on their, on their forehead and on their hand um, as frontlets between their eyes. Now that's not what God's talking about. He's talking about having these things always before you. To have them in your, your head, your mind, and your hand, the, what you act with. Right? And, it's, and it's memorizing the word of God that he's talking about. He tells them that they should teach these things to their children Really, all the time. He says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And that pretty much describes most of the average person's day. He says, be talking about these things with your children. Verse 20, thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. You see, if they would just keep all of these things in God's word, it would be as the days of heaven upon earth. Verse 22 says, For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even under the uttermost sea shall your coast be. 
Verse 25 says, There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. You see, as they're getting ready to go into that promised land, as they're going to really become a nation for the first time, um, they, you know, previous to, to Israel coming out of Egypt, they're not really referred to as a nation. But now they're going to not just be a, a nation in name, but they're actually going to have a land. It's kind of hard to refer to yourself as a nation when you don't have any land. But they're going to go in and possess the land. And the Lord says that if they'll keep all these things, it'll be as the days of heaven upon the earth. And you see that what he's really talking to them about here is a kingdom where they as a nation will be able to conquer other nations. They'll be able to, to possess land. Other nations that try to fight against them will not have success in battle. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19, it's, it's really the same thing that's promised to them here in Exodus 19, verse 5. It says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now you see in both of those passages, though, there's a condition, right? It's not, it's not God blessing them by his grace as he does with us. It's certainly not what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 when it said that we'd been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. No, they, they don't get blessed with the blessings up front. Their blessings and cursings as a nation come in response to their obedience or lack of obedience. And you see that if they would obey God's word, you see what God promised to them, that they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this kingdom that was promised to them all the way back here in Exodus and in Deuteronomy is referred to in the New Testament as the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven, you can go to Matthew chapter 3, the kingdom of heaven is not heaven itself. The kingdom of heaven is those days of heaven upon the earth. It's those, talking about that time when, when from heaven a kingdom is established here on the earth. And so the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that, that will be, and is even yet future to today, will be established on the earth. Matthew 5, the, uh, one of the places where the kingdom of heaven is mentioned is here in, in Matthew 5, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically in what people refer to as the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are the, the blessings. And you see it starts, for instance, in... Uh, Verse, well, start in verse 1 of Matthew, th Matthew 5, rather. Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you come down to verse 10 as well, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And throughout there he mentions 
these, he gives these different descriptions. Really, all of the descriptions that he's giving are descriptions of believers. Okay? And uh, he, he gets, says certain things about each one. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Uh, but notice verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in all of these beatitudes... The, the same people are being described, the believers, they're described as being poor in spirit, as being they that mourn, as being the meek, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness in verse 6, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted for righteousness sake. The, these are all descriptions of the believers. And likewise, all of the things that are promised to those people are descriptions of the kingdom of heaven. It's referred to in verses 3 and 10 as the kingdom of heaven. It's there in verse 4 that they'll be comforted. It's uh, in verse 6 there that they will be filled. It's in verse 7 they'll obtain mercy. In verse 8 it's in that kingdom of heaven that they'll see God. It's in uh, verse 9 the kingdom of heaven that they'll be called the children of God. And uh, verse 5 notice it tells you the realm of that kingdom of heaven. It says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Right? All of those things that are promised to each, each uh, description of people has to do with the kingdom of heaven, and it is something that has to do with inheriting the earth. And so the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom in heaven, it's the kingdom from heaven that God has promised to the nation of Israel that will be established on the earth. And this was the subject of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even before him with the ministry of John the Baptist. If you go back to Matthew 3... Notice what John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, If you go to chapter 4, verse 17, and so you see it there with John the Baptist. Here it's Jesus Christ himself. From that time, or Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, when Christ commissions his 12 disciples to go out and preach, what is it they're preaching? Matthew 10, verse 7, As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, what they were proclaiming was the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The reason it was at hand was because the king was present. Now later on, you get into the end of the book of Matthew, and they're not preaching the kingdom of heaven at hand anymore. Because Christ had been rejected, because it was clear that there was going to be a delay in the, in the establishment of that kingdom. And that's why when you get into Matthew 13, for instance, Christ begins to talk about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to tell these parables that talk about a delay during which the wheat and the tares are going to grow together. During which the fowls of the air representing evil spirits are going to lodge in the the tree. Um, During which uh, uh, he describes, for instance, the parable of the dragnet and how the good and bad fish are brought up in the net. And they're separated out and the bad are, are separated out. And that's what those parables of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are about, is that with the rejection of Christ, the kingdom was no longer at hand. Uh, Now there was going to be a a delay, and the kingdom was going to be for a a future time. 
Um, this kingdom, still in, in Matthew, go back to chapter 5 of Matthew. By the way, Matthew is the only one that uses the term kingdom of heaven. And we'll talk in a moment about why that is. But um, Matthew, Matthew is the only book in the Bible that uses that specific term. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Christ says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. That, by the way, is an important verse to understand as far as the preservation of God's word. That, you know, the jot and tittle are are parts of the Hebrew written language. And and God says he's going to preserve that word. But... Notice verse 19, it says, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments. Well, what commandments? The commandments of the law, right? And the law he's talking about is the law of Moses. He says, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you notice what's going to govern the kingdom of heaven? It's the law of Moses, right? He says that if you teach somebody to break one of the least commandments of the law, one of the, the least inconsequential commandments of the law, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's going to be the the rules, that's going to be the the administration of the kingdom of heaven is the law of Moses. Now again, there's another one of those verses that ought to cause you to pause. Because if there's not a dispensational change between what Matthew 5 verse 19 is saying and what what, uh, we're teaching for today, then we're all wrong. Right? If we have to go back and live by the red letters, then we ought to be living by all of the law of Moses because there it says that if you break one of the least commandments and if you teach others to break them, if you teach others not to be circumcised, if you teach others they don't have to keep the dietary restrictions of the law, it says you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Right? And, and uh, that's, you know, that's one of those comparisons you can make between what Christ was teaching in his earthly ministry to Israel and what Paul is teaching in his epistles to the Gentiles. You see, there's a, there's a change that's taken place between Matthew 5 and, and Ephesians. Um, so we're told that we're not under the law. But the kingdom of heaven has to do with the law of Moses. And uh, notice as well, go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, start in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a passage that uh, you may know is used by by, uh, some Christian churches to try and establish their authority. And, And I use the term Christian in the term of professing Christian. Um, they, they say here that Christ gave authority to Peter and that Peter became the first pope and that that authority passed down through these various popes down to today and that, that the pope in Rome today has the same power that Peter had here. Now, there's a couple things to understand about the passage. First of all, Peter is not the rock on which the church is built. The, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, it says that uh, it talks about the foundation and it says, No other foundation can any man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of any of the, the churches that are mentioned in the Bible. Peter is not the rock on which the church is built. Okay. The, in fact, in the passage, Christ is using a play on words, um, a play on the, the name that he had given. You know, Peter's real name, his Hebrew name was Simon. Christ gave him the name Peter. And it's a play on, on that name Petros, which means a stone. But Christ is referring to himself as the rock. And he's really referring to that confession that Peter makes, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, and, and he talks about building his church. Now, again, the word church, just like any word in the Bible, you don't always want to assume it means the same thing. The word church is just a general word that means assembly or congregation. And you see that the church that it's talking about here doesn't mention the body of Christ anywhere in the passage, but it mentions the kingdom of heaven, right? And you see that Peter is given some special authority with regard to the kingdom of heaven. It says that he is given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And it says, Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There is some authority that's being given to Peter here. Uh, You may notice in your King James Bible that the words thee and thou are used throughout verse 19, which means it's singular. If it's, you know, ye and you are plural, If he were talking to the disciples as a whole, he would say, it is given unto you, or or I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But it's in the singular. He's talking to Peter singularly. He says, Peter, unto you, uh, I'll give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he gives him this power of, of binding and loosing. There is a special position of power given to Peter here. But you see, it has to do with, again, that kingdom of heaven. Not with the church, the body of Christ but with the kingdom of heaven. And so, so uh, the, the kingdom of heaven, we haven't looked at it in, you know, exhaustively, but we've got a lot of detail here about the kingdom of heaven. You can study that on your own if you want. Just take a, a concordance and study out that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not the term that Paul uses. And it's important to understand what kingdom Paul is talking about. In Ephesians 5, Paul says not anything about inheriting the kingdom of heaven, but he says that those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? Now, 
when you have different terms, you want to understand in God's word, why, why are the different terms used? Now, I mentioned earlier that the term kingdom of heaven is only used in the gospel of Matthew. And the, the term kingdom of God is a much more general term. You see, the kingdom of heaven is very specific. It's talking about that literal, physical, earthly kingdom that will be established on the earth in which Christ will sit on a throne at Jerusalem and rule over Israel. Israel will rule over the Gentiles. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. The term kingdom of God, however, is a much more general term in the Bible. It doesn't refer specifically to that kingdom to be established on the earth. It's a much more general thing. And... Even in the Gospels, the, the term kingdom of God is often used. In fact, when you look at the parallels of this, these passages in Matthew that talk about the kingdom of heaven, and you look at the par- parallel passages in Mark or Luke, you'll see that Mark and Luke use the term kingdom of God instead of kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a, another thing. You know, When you see those, those differences between the Gospels, you have to remember, don't you know, the, the, the attitude of unbelief sees that difference and they say, oh, you see, it's a contradiction, right? Matthew must have misquoted what Christ said because he says kingdom of heaven and Mark and Luke say kingdom of God, right? And that's the attitude of unbelief. The attitude of belief says, why is that difference there? Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.